I mean, to give you the short answer, it is still going on. We're getting reports almost daily that it's still happening. Welcome, everyone, on this Friday, the 13th of November, 2020. I'm Todd Dills, your host for the Overdrive Radio podcast. And jumping today back into a subject that's probably quite appropriate for this unluckiest of dates on the calendar double brokering fraud scheme that, by the estimates of some watchers, may have seen as much as a fourfold increase since pre-pandemic times when we last wrote about it. And that, of course, hasn't been very long ago at all. Regular Overdrive readers may well recall our Broker Reforms series, in which we shed some light on the problem of bad actors who hop in and hop out of the brokerage game with no intent to ever pay a single carrier. Also there, we wrote about the double brokering business identity theft scheme at issue today, Thieves use stolen information to pose as a carrier, convince a broker then to tender them a load. And when they fooled that very real broker, they then use stolen information from a different broker and post the load to a load board, often with a very high teaser rate to quickly lure in a very real carrier to take the load. But upon pickup, the thieves go back to the original broker and ask for fuel advance. If they're successful, And if the real carrier on the load doesn't wise up to the scheme and delivers the load, the thieves are often enough successful in convincing the original broker to deliver the rest of the load payment to them as a quick pay. Who's out financially in this scheme? Here's more from the voice you heard at the top, noting that the scheme is still well ongoing. It's that of Postal Inspector Steve Cohen, who worked the successfully prosecuted case of William Hickey, a U.S.-based runner for a team of identity thieves doing this from overseas. That case resolved last year. That's what it sounded like. Most of our victim carriers were the owner operators. We weren't finding, we would have an occasional large company that would be taken. Um, But for the most part, the carriers, because they're the the ultimate victim. They're the ones that are really the ones losing. The brokers aren't, unless the load goes to a wrong spot, they're not losing out. Um, You know, their reputation, uh, if their identity is stolen, could hurt them. But as far as monetary loss, the carriers are the ones that lose the money and almost all of our carriers were owner operators or very small companies that operated still with invoices sending invoices through the mail uh, back to the original brokers um they weren't the large companies that required you know you know payment right on top or you know digital payment they were definitely smaller mom and pop companies that that were getting taken cohen is headquartered in maryland and works within the dc division of the postal inspection service and herein offers a great deal of detail on his, his observations about just how carriers and their brokerage partners can, with a few tweaks to their verification protocols and typical ways of doing business, how they can knock down what's perhaps the biggest double brokering scheme out there, this business identity theft scheme that's going after fuel advance and quick pay monies and leaving owner-operators stuck with no payment for the work put in. Before we get to the meat of my talk with Cohen, though, here's a quick word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor, First Guard Insurance. First Guard, the trucker's insurance company, offering leased owner-operators the insurance protection you need and the service that you deserve. Contact today for a free physical damage or non-trucking liability quote. FirstGuard.com. That's number one, STGuard.com. FirstGuard.com. Well, my name is Steve Cohen. I'm a U.S. Postal Inspector out of the Washington, D.C. Division. 
I've been a postal inspector for about four years. Uh, I've been in law enforcement for uh, almost 18. Before I was a postal inspector, I worked as a special agent with the Department of Justice. And I was also a police officer and detective in the state of Maryland for 10 years. So I got, got about 18 years of experience and about 10 of those are in investigations uh, focusing primarily on financial crimes. The investigation into William Hickey and the, and the scheme we're, we're talking about here has been going on for years. I joined in the investigation uh, after it had already been going on. The Department of Transportation, OIG, had started an investigation after they learned of a, a basically a double brokering scheme where, in, where individuals were stealing identities of brokers and carriers and using that information to uh, obtain information on loads and then rebroker those loads on the, the different internet boards. And they were able to then steal the truck industry check express codes or fuel advances and then payment for the final loads um, after right. the loads were delivered. I got into the case after the U.S. Attorney's Office reached out to us asking for assistance because we are, my agency and, and our team specifically specializes in financial crimes. And this was a, a pretty complex uh, identity theft, money laundering operation going on. So they reached out to us and asked for our assistance. And we joined in about, about a year and a half after the investigation had started. Okay. And, um, you know, and then, and then it kind of, how did it proceed for, for you guys, I guess? Um, and for how long? Uh, I worked on it for a, about another year and a half. Yeah. Um, it, it takes an extremely long period of time to put together these financial investigations. Um, we, you know, first I needed to get a crash course on the trucking industry. I didn't know anything about commercial freight, how it operates, how it, how the money moves and uh, what, you know, how you advertise for these loads, what a DAT board is, what is a com data check. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. That was, that was all foreign to me. So I had to get a crash course on the trucking industry and all of the lingo and, and the understanding of how stuff moves. And from there, uh, we focused on trying to follow the money along with you know, trying to get leads on who was committing the fraud because, you, right. you know, in these kind of investigations, you got usually two aspects. You have the individuals committing the fraud and then you have the money laundering side where the movement of the money and that was where William Hickey came in. And yeah. so I, I spent most of my focus on William Hickey. Um, this scheme, as we, as we went along, we realized it was international. We were able to figure out that most of the operations were being conducted out of the Middle East or, or Asia, primarily out of Pakistan. And so when we learn that, it makes it very difficult for us to you know, pursue those targets. We need to focus on the individuals here in the US. So I spent most of my effort working towards building a case on William Hickey and the movement of money, the facilitation of money and what his role was in the overall scheme. He essentially becomes the uh, the entity to which every express code uh, for the com checks that these guys uh, were managed to get for either a fuel advance or a payment for an entire load, uh, they would all go to him, and he would uh, then. Then what would he do with uh, with those checks? Yeah. So once the codes would get to him, I mean, first they had to obtain the codes. So. Yeah. 
what you what you have on the front end are the the suspects and the individuals stealing the identities of brokers and carriers in order to um, learn about loads and get other carriers to move loads for them. Once right. those carriers are being once those carriers are moving the loads and they can produce the bill of lading, they would then go back to the original broker that that posted that first load and they would obtain the express code. Once that express code was obtained, it would be uh, sent to uh, William Hickey here in Maryland. And William Hickey's job was to immediately get to a location where he could cash that express code, either at a check cashing place, at a truck stop, or an, and eventually into his actual bank accounts. It was a, it was a very fast moving operation. The, the information had to be sent to him quickly they couldn't wait if the if the victim brokers found out that there was a fraud, they would cancel the express code. Right. So almost upon it, immediately when the the unsuspecting carrier picks up the load and sends that information off to the suspects that they got the load, suspects go back to the original broker, get that express code and ship it off to Mr. Hickey. Mr. Hickey then um, is getting numerous express codes a day because they're not just doing this to one broker or one load, they're doing five, six, sometimes as many as 10 a day. And wow. uh, they get them to Hickey. His job is to deposit the money or cash the trucking checks, convert it to cash, and then get it to back to the suspects. And right. that, that's, that's his primary job. He was a disbarred lawyer who had started a consulting company here in Baltimore. And the company's main job was to move move this money. And that's, that's what. Well, so we get... We got him, but we, we didn't get the rest of the, uh, the folks, right? So um, I guess that's sort of the, seems like the most important lesson in this thing that uh, folks need to be aware of is, is this is not uh, this is not over. This is yeah, unfortunately, thing. it is. It is definitely not. You know, Mr. Hickey is a recruited individual into the scheme, um, but he's not the one, you know, making the phone calls. He's not the one booking the loads. He's no. you know, he's an integral part. Without him, the scheme doesn't exist because they need to be able to move the money here in the US. Yeah. Um, but they can always find somebody who they can pay enough money to that will move money for them. Right. And so trying to identify and charge the individuals responsible is going to be very difficult because right. like I said earlier, they're they're overseas and they don't have the reach of, of federal law enforcement here in the US. So we continue to see this scheme going on up until today it's still operating um there are ways that the brokers and carriers i think can protect themselves and um but to think that getting mr hickey off the street is going to stop it they're just going to move on and they have moved on to other individuals and they've adapted as well uh they've they've learned what we did to arrest mr hickey and they've they've adapted from that and they're not going to do those same things again because it got them caught and they lost uh, they lost tons of money on it and they lost their, their money mover and they don't want that to happen. Let's back up a little bit mm -hmm. and um, let's really break down the, um, uh, how this, how this thing works. Uh, and, you know, cause this, that'll, that'll give the folks listening, you know, a you know, a clear picture of, of where, <laughs> where to be, uh, you know, where the spidey senses start tingling uh, if they uh, do get involved in something like this. It starts with um, the uh, the crooks basically posing as a carrier, I think, right? 
That is correct. Yes. So it starts with them posing as a carrier. They have stolen a legitimate carrier's information. They have their DOT number. They have all of the information they need in order to pose as them. Uh, and what they do is they scour the, the, the boards looking for any loads that need to be moved. And they don't really care what it is. And they're going to bid on those loads. And so their, their first step is to successfully bid on a load and get the broker to agree to hire them. Right. Um, at that point, the broker does the onboarding uh, because they're going to be a new, you know, they're not going to have a relationship with this trucking company before. So they do the onboarding and the suspects send all of the necessary paperwork and they're going to send fraudulent insurance paperwork, fraudulent uh, documentation, all kinds of things that they need in order to convince the broker that they're real. Um, once the broker uh, onboards them and agrees to use them, they give them all the information because that trucking company now is supposed to go pick, pick the load up. Right. And so, uh, but they don't have a trucking company. They're not here in the US. So they then turn around and using additional stolen information, they also have stolen broker information. They then take and re-broker, repost that exact same load. And so what they're doing is they're taking all the information they already have, they have all the info and they repost it. Or they go on and they advertise or look for carriers who are looking to move, go from one city to another. So if you have a carrier who's gotten on the DAP board and said, I wanna go from, I'm in St. Louis, I need to get to Houston. And they'll look for that. And they'll look for carriers that are trying to get back to specific places. Yeah, he's like posting his posting his truck in a specific place and some saying and advertising that they want to go to another. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so they look for one of those two things and they find a real trucking company that will agree to move the load. Right. And they give them all the paperwork and they onboard that trucking company just like the normal ways you would onboard a regular carrier for the first time. And they send that carrier out to go get the load. Once that carrier picks up the load, they send the paperwork off telling you know, our suspects, hey, I've picked the load up and I'm off, I'm on my way. These suspects who had rebrokered the load, they go back to the original broker, they doctor the paperwork to make it look like they're the ones that picked up the load. Right. The broker knows the load's been picked up or they can confirm that it's been picked up because it has. And the broker then gives the fuel advance to our suspects. You know, and that's where Mr. Hickey comes in. The fuel advance codes are given to Mr. Uh, given to the suspects. The suspects then immediately send that to Mr. Hickey, and Hickey's off to the banks or the check cashing places to cash those checks. Right. And at that point, the carrier is unsuspectingly not realizing they're working for a real broker. They move the load, and they get to their destination, and they drop the load off. And they contact the, the individual they break up, they brokered with, and they tell them the load has been delivered and they send them an invoice to get paid. Right. Problem right. is they're never going to get paid because the person they brokered with was a stolen identity of a real broker. Our right. suspects, right. again, take that information, go back to the original broker and say, here you go. I move the load and they pay them their final payment in an express code and they send it back to Mr. Hickey and he cashes the check. And the broker doesn't know. As far as the broker knows, his load got moved. He contact, you know, the, the, the product going from point A to B got where it was supposed to. Everyone is happy except for that carrier who moved the load, who's waiting to get paid. They're never going to get paid. 
because they didn't contract with a real bro. And then that's where the, you know, and then it kind of falls apart from there. I wrote Wednesday about a presentation on these types of schemes given by two attorneys with the Mosley Marcinek Law Group based in Greenville, South Carolina. We've heard quite a lot about it from various brokers and carriers among their transportation-focused clients. Find a diagram of how it works there. That's the post for November 11, 2020 on the Channel 19 blog, overdriveonline.com slash channel 19. Likewise, a bit of a warning from those attorneys to any party who might shrug their shoulders at this situation given it seems like it's the carrier who gets stuck with the non-payment in the end. As any self-respecting owner-op knows, though, there are ways to get at that payment, however cumbersome they may be. It's easy enough in the aftermath of a scam like this to figure out the identity of the actual broker on the load and file a claim against that broker's bond, of course. The carrier knows the identities of both shipper and receiver, one of the two of them ultimately responsible for paying for the transportation of the load. And the rate that very real trucker may be looking for is quite likely to be far higher than what the very real broker agreed to with the crooks. Here's Cohen talking about just how the thieves entice carriers on the load boards with the goal of speeding up the process as fast as they can. The, the biggest way they entice them is, is uh, paying them more than they should. Uh, that was the biggest way they want to, they're, they're working a volume game and they're working with on time. So going back to when they originally broker the load, that original broker that gave them the load going from point A to B, they're expecting that load to be picked up. They don't have a day and a half to find a new trucker. They don't have even numerous hours to find a new carrier to move that load. They need to do it quickly because that shipper is expecting a company to show up and pick that load up. And so, because it's already been accepted. And so they are enticing carriers um, by overpaying. If a load going from city A to city B should be $2,500, um, they're going to offer $4,000. And so if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And uh, it's, they're, they're using just our nature of, wow, I can make, you know, double what I normally make by moving this load. So I'm going to go ahead and take it. And I'm going to, I'm going to uh, turn a blind eye to some of maybe the red flags that I see, like when they tell you don't, you know, do it as a blind shipment. Don't tell it, you know, the, the, the shipper who you're working for because they 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 can't let the shipper know who they who they got brokered with that shipper knows who their broker is and if it's a different broker it could you know have a red flag up so you know the carriers are enticed with that money and they also by targeting specific cities they're they're hoping that they can find a, a carrier that needs to get back to their home city they need to get back to Houston or need to get back to San Francisco the suspects will sometimes change the loads and that's where we see and where we did see some significant loss where they couldn't find a carrier to move the load from city a to b they posted it they didn't get the response within you know 15 20 minutes they don't have time to wait so they're now looking for they see a car uh, a carrier that needs to go from city a to city b and it's a different city so now they just change the paperwork because they don't care they don't care where the load goes and so they'll move that load from to that carrier's home city. They'll just change the paperwork, tell them it's going to San Diego instead of Houston, and that carrier will move it to San Diego. They'll give them a fake address. That carrier will show up, and there's no place for them to drop the load. And if it's a perishable good or something that they, you know, that will go bad or that they can't move, it has to get salvaged. It, it you know, we have 
numerous companies that lost their entire load just went to the dumpster because they couldn't do anything with it. It was nobody there to accept it. And the, the load goes bad and they got to get rid of it. And everyone then at that point, instead of there being maybe a $3,000 or $4,000 loss to the carrier, it's $35,000 or $40,000 worth of product. Right. And that, and that, and in those cases, they are not, um, they're not end up collecting the, uh, the, the crooks are, are getting basically, they're just going after the fuel advance. They're just settling on that and not being able to move the load uh, to where it actually is supposed to go. Um, yes. Their main thing they want is the fuel advance. If they can get yeah. the load on the back end, they'll, the payment on the back end, they'll get it, but they want the fuel advance. Once they get yeah. the fuel advance, that's a win for them. And anything on the back end is just a bonus. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about prevention because there, I mean, we talked a little bit about red flags that, <clears throat> that come up. Um, actually, I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up before we get too far into it, but uh, I've heard um, a couple of different anecdotes uh, from, uh, from different people about um, carriers being told not, not only, not only the, the notion of the blind shipment, the blind load, um, but uh, to actually, <laughs> use a different name um tell them you're somebody else when 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 uh when you're going to 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 the receiver to drop this thing off and it occurred to me like that that is probably exactly what we're talking about here just a little more um i don't know egregiously duplicitous or something like that and uh yeah i mean that, that would be the ultimate red flag we didn't have a lot of that in our case okay. from the carriers we spoke to and and the brokers, we didn't hear a lot of um, openly lying about who you are. Right, we did right. have a lot of blind loads and blind yeah. shipments, um, right. which you know, not knowing the industry fully, I don't know how prevalent that is. It sounds like it's something that occurs and, and has been a problem historically. Um, but we didn't have anything. We None of our carriers told us that they were told to use a, uh, a fake name. That being said, I don't know if they would have told us that. Like, right. I don't know if they would have been honest and said, yeah, we, I was told to use a fake name and I did, but nobody reported it. And that never came up in our investigation. That right. could be something right. that they've adapted to with the arrest of William Hickey. It's possible they adapted and started changing some of their techniques. Yeah. And so that, that could be something they're doing now, but it was not happening during our investigation. Let's talk about uh, how broker, what brokers can do and what carriers can do to sort of prevent this. Let's start with the brokers because, yeah, they're the ones getting fooled at the very beginning. Uh, what, what can be done to prevent this? And, you know, what are the red flags to look out for? So I think there's two big things the brokers could do to pretty much stop the scheme dead in its tracks. And if we can get the brokers to do this, I think it would, the scheme would, would be done and they would have to move on to another scheme. They would probably figure something else out, but this actual scheme would be over. And the first is to verify independently. If you, when you do that onboarding for the first time for a carrier you've never used, um, you're going to get their paperwork. You're going to get their insurance paperwork and all of their documentation. Um, that insurance paperwork coming over is a very good fake document. Um, I mean, the, the document itself is not very difficult to fake. It's like a one page, you know, insurance verification uh, that, that everyone uses in, the, in this industry. Uh, what they do is they just take that and they just change the email address and phone number to email addresses and phone numbers they have control over. So the company name is real, the address, everything is legitimate except that email and the email address and phone number. So when the, the broker or the, the, the individual doing the onboarding for the broker calls that number, 
to, or emails them to verify, they're, they're contacting the suspects themselves and they may send back the verification and it seems legitimate. And so the, the first thing I would say is for a first time carrier that you're onboarding, do an independent verification. Look at the insurance paperwork first, look at the company that's, that's listed and is that phone number a, a company for that insurance company? Is their email address a Gmail or Yahoo account? <laughs> that would have been the first thing. Like you don't even need to do the, you know, the independent verification. If you just took a look at that and said, wait a minute, Progressive and State Farm don't use Progressive Midwest at gmail.com. <laughs> or, I mean, those yeah. were things that, you know, we noticed right away when we were getting the documentation. Like, no, there's no way this is real. It's, they don't use a Gmail account. Right. Um, so that's, that's the first red flag. Uh, if you don't see that, or it's an email address that doesn't pop out, you know, just Google them, look up the insurance company name, look for their phone number and call it independently. And when you do that, what you would have found is most likely that's not, that carrier isn't insured by that company because that's the one thing our suspects didn't have, or they didn't know, or they didn't care. They didn't use the real insurance companies that the, that the carrier used. They used any insurance company they felt like. And so if you had called that number, you would have said, no, they would have been like, no, I don't. I don't use, I don't use that insurance or that insurance. We don't, we don't have them listed as a, as a carrier. So that would be the first thing that I would uh, suggest doing. The second one um, would be express codes for first time carriers. Um, and, and when I say express codes, I'm really call, talking about fuel advances. Yeah. Fuel advance for a first time onboarded carrier. If you eliminate that, and really, that's the only thing. If you eliminate the entire scheme, is over. They do not go any further. If you they call up a broker and that broker will not do a fuel advance, they will not go any further in the scheme because they can't. They're not going to put the time in to move that load, and then halfway through the load, the victims find out, and then they don't. Nobody gets any money. Right. So they want the money right up front. If you eliminate fuel advances for first-time carriers, and you just put in a policy that says, you know, the first time you join me or you, you work for me, I'm not giving you a fuel advance. I'm sorry, we can't do it. Once you move a load for us successfully, you can get all the fuel advances you want, but we can't do it on the first time. If you did that, you could stop the scheme outright. I mean, ideally, I would say get rid of all fuel advances, but my understanding of the industry is you just can't do that. It's, right. it's necessity in the industry. It sounds like it's something that needs to be needs to be in there. And so right. I would say right. first time loads don't do fuel advances. If you did yeah. that, the brokers are not going to get taken. They're going to yeah. move on to somebody else. Unless they get taken once and it works. And then that carrier, that fake carrier comes right back to them. So it's possible, but <laughs> what's, what's going to happen though, is that, that, the real trucker, the, the real trucker eventually is going to catch up to him. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to find out he didn't get paid right yeah. away. Yeah. And they're going to, and it's very easy for the carrier to find out who the real broker is. You go back to the company, yeah. you pick the load up from and go, Hey, who did you broker with? Cause I didn't get paid. And they'll say, I brokered with broker A, not broker B. Right. They call broker A and say, I got scammed and it, 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 it collapses. And so I don't think they're going to even attempt to try to move or rebroker your load if you won't do fuel advance. And so if you eliminated the fuel advance, you eliminate yourself getting big. You just eliminate their, their economic opportunity that way. And yeah, got yeah. it. 
Although, you know, in the, in this business, um, it's not common, it's not uncommon for uh, truckers to, to wait 30, 60 days to, to be paid by a broker. And so some people will take a load with the expectation of that. Now that's changing, that's changed in recent years uh, a good bit, but it's still not that uncommon. One of the reasons that I think that the folks are able to exploit this kind of situation so much is the, is the long delay in payment that is kind of, kind of normal you know that's what it sounded like most of our victim yeah. carriers were the owner operators we weren't yeah. finding we would have an occasional large company that would be taken um but for the most part the carriers because they're the they're the ultimate victim they're the ones that are really the ones losing the brokers aren't unless the load goes to a wrong spot they're not losing out um right. you know they, their reputation uh, if their identity is stolen could hurt them but as far as monetary loss the carriers are the ones that lose the money. And almost all of our carriers were owner operators or very small companies that operated still with invoices, sending invoices through the mail sure. uh, back to the original brokers. Um, they weren't the large companies that required, you know, you know, payment right on top or, you know, digital payment. They were definitely smaller mom and pop companies that, that were getting taken. Let's talk about uh, what carriers can do to sort of, uh, derail this midstream or avoid being, um, avoid having their um, information stolen. I mean, I know that's next to impossible in, in some ways, but, um, you know, what are the things that carriers can do here from your perspective? I think as, as far as protecting their identity, it that's a difficult thing to do. Um, in today's day and age, especially with the DOT stuff, it's all public and for a lot of it's public. So yep. it's very difficult to protect your information. I, I wouldn't even know where to start on, on telling them how to do that. Um, One thing you can in fact do is to monitor your carrier profile and FMCSA safer system closely. Some of these ID thieves have gone so far as to take over real carrier profiles and change information there so that all contact info goes directly to them. I've seen from other cases. Search identity theft at overdriveonline.com to access the full range of prevention steps that can be taken to guard against a variety of schemes. They could do similar steps that the broker can for verification. Uh, so when they're when they're bidding on a load and they go through the original steps, and if it's a broker you've never dealt with, you know, again, look at the email addresses. Are they using a Yahoo or Gmail or you know Microsoft email address? If they are, they might not be real. Um, a, a lot of the brokers are large enough where they they don't use those kind of those email addresses. Um, so looking at those, doing some independent verification on your phone, look for a phone number for them, just put their name in your phone, Google it. Is that the phone number you're communicating with? Yep. And if it is, yeah. uh, then you're probably okay. If that number doesn't come up as a company, you know, call and find out, is this something that they're brokering? Right. Um, you know, do a little bit extra due diligence when they ask you to take a blind load or if the load seems to be too good to be true, like we talked about earlier, if they're paying you double than what you know, what you think that should cost for you to move that, it, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. It's, it's not legitimate to think a broker is going to pay double to you to move that load. Um, when everyone else is paying X and this company's paying Y, Y is probably not legitimate. So when you see one of those, I'm not saying don't take it, but that's where you need to do the extra due diligence and yeah. you know, look and see, is this a real broker? Ask the shipper when you show up. 
hey, who are you brokering with? And confirm it. If you if you have some suspicion, the shipper knows who they're who they're working with. And so they're gonna know. And if it's not the same company, well, then there's a red flag right there. And just pick up the phone and make a phone call. Right. Uh, they're still that shipper's still gonna want you to move the load because that that shipper is still expecting that load to be moved. They might be able to get you in touch with the real broker and let you you know work out a deal with them and have and and move the load because that shipper wants that stuff moved. They're not gonna want to wait another you know, four or five hours or a day to get somebody out there. So um, those are those are kind of the quick down and dirty steps I think carriers can can uh, can take in order to protect themselves because they're the ones it's it's their money and it's their their time. They're the ultimate ones that are going to get affected by this. So it's really important that they pay attention to what's going on and they need to protect themselves. Yeah. And if you do uh, find one of these or, or break one of these up in the middle of it um, uh, and or uh, if it gets all the way to the end and you're the guy sitting there with the bill, you guys want to hear about that, I think, right? We, we want to hear about it. The, uh, the intake section is Department of Transportation, Yeah, the, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. They're the ones that do a lot of the intake yeah. of these and then they filter it to us as they get them in. And so, you know, notify DOT immediately about the scam. You can notify, you know, state police. We have a lot of local partners that work these uh, in conjunction with us. So we want to hear about it and we need as much information as possible. The biggest hurdle that we have and, and part of the reason why there's always such a delay is trying to get all of the information, uh, trying to get the the uh, copies of the com data checks that were cached, trying to get the information um, quickly to us that the victims have that we would normally need legal process to get. You know, I can get copies of a lot of this stuff, but I may have to go through, you know, subpoenas and, and court authorizations to get copies because they're financial records. Well, the victims have a lot of that. And so working with Department of Transportation, turning over your emails and text messages we don't want all of them. We just want your communication with the, with the bad guys. Yeah. And if we can get that, there are things in that communication that helps us identify, you know, new, new individuals running as money mules, new money launderers. You never know which piece of evidence um, to you might seem small, but to us putting this puzzle together, every little piece helps us. And eventually we get that one piece that completes the puzzle. And it may take us months to get all of that, but eventually we will. And so we need that information. We need the cooperation from the victims um, to, to help us so we can stop this from happening. We'll say here that the load boards want to hear about any use of their platforms in this manner too. You'll find an array of resources and a how-to guide on reporting fraudulent activities that was, that was part of our broker reforms feature series earlier this year. Visit overdriveonline.com slash tag slash broker hyphen reforms to find that. For the intake section at the DOT that Steve Cohen spoke of, there's FMCSA's National Consumer Complaint Database, as well as the DOT Office of Inspector General's hotline, the latter at oig.dot.gov slash hotline. There you'll find phone and email contacts, 1-800-424-9071 and hotline at oig.dot.gov. This specific scheme, um, since I'm still heavily involved in it, I'm, I'm still very much 
you know, up to date on what's going on. Uh, it is unfortunately still going on. Uh, I'm sure there, we know there are new runners. We know they've adapted since Mr. Hickey's arrest and they're not doing the same things that Mr. Hickey did that allowed him to get caught. So uh, there are new, uh, new adaptations i won't be able to get into all of those sure. because it's still you know it's still ongoing um, but it is still ongoing the suspects that were originally doing it with mr hickey they haven't stopped they're overseas it's very profitable um and it's going to be very difficult for us to stop them at the end of the day that uh, we can arrest um the mules here and the money movers but we're not going to be able to arrest our way out of this scheme it's just too prevalent it's too lucrative and the suspects aren't here uh, so it, we're going to have to rely on the carriers and brokers to help us in stopping it. But yeah, unfortunately, it is continuing, and we don't it, we don't expect it to stop anytime soon. Yeah, so they're adapting, but you know those recommendations that you made, all of those still pertain in terms of uh, the utility for carriers and brokers to kind of to kind of stop these things before they get very far. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If they if they adopt those things. Um, even with the adaptations the suspects are making, they, yeah. they still, the, the scheme would die if the adaptations by the brokers took place. Yeah. And in terms of uh, the, the folks overseas being out of reach, um, I mean, theoretically, if you manage to actually identify them, which I understand is a pretty hard thing to do itself. Um, like if they, if they came to the U S uh, you could arrest them here. Yes, of course. If they came yeah. to the U.S., they would be arrested. Um, yeah. That's a big if. Yeah, uh, if, if you identified them. Yeah. yeah, if we identified them and they came here. Um, I mean, so many of the fraud schemes that we investigate, not just this, but just any fraud scheme, uh, so many of them take place overseas for that reason. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our agency investigates things from this to romance scams to lottery scams. Uh, we do all of those kind of investigations and 90% of them involve suspects, you know, most likely being overseas because they know if they're over there, they, they can't, you know, it's very difficult for us to one, identify them. And even if we do identify them to actually arrest them, very right. difficult thing to do. So it is, it is a, it is a possibility if we identify them and they come to the U S and all those stars align and we know about it then yes, they would be arrested and charged. Right. Um, those are a lot of big ifs. Yeah. An extradition, um, I mean, I'm not, this is not my strong suit, right? But um, extradition can occur only when there are formal charges and there's an extradition agreement with the country. And that's not the case in a lot of cases for the U.S. Well, we, I mean, we have, we have tons of extradition treaties with other countries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to have formal charges here and then yeah. you have to have them arrested in that country and then you start the formal extradition process. And I'm not an expert on that. Right. Uh, that's, that's usually all handled at the DOJ level um, yeah. of justice and, and the extradition process. But so there, there are plenty of countries where frauds are being committed against the U.S. and you live in them. Uh, yeah, you can get arrested and extradited. Uh, in this specific case, our suspects are in countries where very difficult to get extradition. So, no. I think you said in this case it was uh, Pakistan principally? Yes, that's what we believe. We believe it's operating out of Pakistan. A big thanks here to Steve Cohen of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service for his help. A, bit, a brief bit of information about the inspection service itself that you may not know it happens to be among the very oldest federal law enforcement agencies. 
Postal inspectors like Cohen are federal agents with jurisdiction in all criminal matters involving the integrity and security of the Postal Service. Among their tasks, prosecuting, quote, any scheme that uses the U.S. mail to obtain money or something of value by offering a product, service, or investment that intentionally does not live up to its claim, end quote. Uh, the, U, uh, the USPIS uh, has investigative authority over, quote, illegally obtained proceeds, end quote. Those might include the sale of narcotics or counterfeit merchandise, mail fraud, tax evasion, embezzlement, and human trafficking, or, as is the case here, freight payment. Thanks again to our sponsor, First Guard Insurance, and to you for hanging into the end. Find past episodes at overdriveonline.com slash capital O overdrive capital R radio. Till next time, stay proactive.